Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of City Trends on 97.3 City FM. This is a show where we talk technology. And boy, do we have a discussion for you today around the future of work, around the gig economy, around everything that we've come to know as the next phase of working. If you don't know what the gig economy is, if you don't understand the dynamics, if you don't understand, for example, things related to regulation, well, this is a conversation for you. You're welcome. So basically, online platforms currently play such an incredibly important role in the labor you know, equation. And anyone currently who needs a job can literally just go online and find some, whether it's on LinkedIn or any other platform that you know, offers, offers such opportunities. There are also you know, ride-hailing apps that people can easily you know, find work for themselves and anything else in between. But the bigger questions remain. How and what's the best way to link talent with, you know, the people who need the service? And also, who is regulating the space such that there won't be any exploitation and and everything else else like that? Well, that is the basis of the conversation that we're having today. And it came on the sidelines or during a conversation um, and research that was actually put together by a team Um, looking at the future of online labor markets and the regulation of the platform economy. And this was something that was put together um, by GIZ, um, by the Digital Transformation Center Ghana, and then, of course, the Alexander von Humboldt Institute of Internet and Society. And so we're going to jump straight into it. It was a panel conversation. so the, at the core of the conversation, there was a panel discussion around the topic and Dr. Augustina Odami, who's the CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Technology, Frank Kwesi Adeto, who is the National Project Coordinator, Scale Up Ghana, ILO, and Dr. Theophilus Adomako, who is the Director, Consultancy, Management Development and Productivity Institute. Three of these people came together. There was a Q&A as well. And so we're just going to jump straight into that discussion. I wanted to also get a sense of what your thoughts were with regards to the research findings, um, you know, what was um, found out. And did any of it surprise you, for example? No. Uh, yes. Uh, you, 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 we found out that there's difference between Ghana and Kenya. Uh, per some of the uh, indicators or the parameters. Quite apart from the geographical location. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you could see difference uh, between Kenya and Ghana. So maybe at the end of the uh, report, we should find out uh, the uh, factors that account for those differences. Yeah, so we must know. Then we can uh, make recommendations to close the gap between uh, Ghana and Kenya. Indeed, we are not too much uh, different per some of the socioeconomic indicators. So if uh, on the digital platform online, there's difference, then we must 
be interested in that. But it's also coming up with uh, our attitude towards the online and the digital platform. Uh, she mentioned uh, the fraud, cyber security fraud, etc. The Sakawa and the rest have put a lot of people uh, negative attitude towards it. So we need to do a lot of work so that we can overcome that challenge. And that's where uh, policies, regulation, the associations that he mentioned, networking, building capacity of operators so that they can respond to the emerging opportunities and also risk that go along with the industry. Yeah. Mr. Adesto, what about you? Did you, were any of the findings, um, at least from the conversations that have been had so far, anything that stuck out for you before I come to Dr. Adamis? You are not, okay, so Doc, you can have, you can have mine. Yes. Um, so I, I wouldn't say anything surprised me from yesterday um, because I was involved in the research, and so I've had the opportunity to, to sit with it um, for a bit. I wouldn't say something that's surprised, but I think one takeaway that I came away with from the research and that I think that it's something that um, we can all think through is the, um, the concept of incorporating some of these protections into the very design of platforms and also the nature of the working spaces. So being able to, um, at the point of building the skills, so right from the capacity building, right from the enabling tech ecosystem to be able to build these platforms and develop them, etc. having some of these social issues, some of these protection issues, some of these security issues being instilled, so at our incubators, etc. bringing the concept of fair work right at the beginning, so that when you are thinking of building up your company, your platform... It becomes a part of the foundation. It becomes a part of the conversation. And the reason why I sort of latching onto that is that there's a lot of contextualization that sometimes needs to be done to make some of these concepts work. You cannot do copy and paste. So if we start thinking about it right from the beginning, we are able to come up with a system that honors the principle of some of these um, requirements or some of these good-to-haves without compromising um, or waiting for a situation where we are faced with sanctions or we have a situation where we have to do a copy and paste because we have not taken the pains to come up with indigenous solutions or indigenous systems that speak to the same protections without necessarily doing a copy and paste. Because if you wait to the point where um, workers are being exploited, there's a lot of abuse on platforms, etc., and then external parties are stepping in, at that point, you do not get to do that customization, that would have made the system sustainable. Because that's the other thing. It has to be a sustainable system. Otherwise, it's not going to work. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, and so moving not too far away from the research, one of the things that also was highlighted was on the issue of poor connectivity and um, the lack of reliable digital infrastructure preventing workers' access to, to markets. Um, one of the other ones was also the lack of participation. You know, unemployed but skilled people hesitant to apply for platform jobs. I mean, I don't, I don't understand that, the sec especially the second bit. I mean, the skill is there, 
the platform is there. There is evidence abundant of how it works, but then there is a hesitance in terms of wanting to latch onto it. Where is that from? Yeah, I think it's all about the trust issue. This is an environment that is full of uncertainties. You can't be very sure that you're going to be successful or not because you may not be able to tell who is behind the, the, the tax that is being offered you. Are you going to go through to the end or not? So people, even though they are so skilled, they don't want to risk and then get shortchanged. Because, this, because it's an unregulated environment, so you can't, assuming you get through, to, uh, through halfway and things go bad, there's no law that you're going to apply to get whatever you have invested back. So it's quite uh, uh, an uncertain and uncharted environment and people don't want, you know, typically people will not want to risk, you know, so let me go to a, a more secured safety kind of, through that kind of arrangement, is the reason everybody wants to go into a formal employment. Whereas, in fact, if you take advantage of this, you can make in a lot of this. But, you see, one of the things we also have, which is very challenging, is the attitude. You know, you must be very disciplined to work, you know, within this space. I mean, just take it. During COVID-19, when most of us were working from home, you expect that somebody should be online doing A, B, C, D, but the person is doing something else. You know, so most people will not be serious about it, and that accounts for the delays. It affects quality of the product, you know, and that eventually, you know, you may not be able to get what you want. So we need to do a lot. You see, that's why the quality assurance, which, for instance, the associations can guarantee, is very key. So that I know, even though I'm dealing with you, there's somebody in there who can, you know, call to you to order. Then it will work. But uh, unfortunately, in our in our everyday, and Doc, if you if if you don't mind, in our everyday, we have a lot of discrepancies um, against women, and it seems to have sort of from at least from the little I've read. Um, with regards to findings, it seems to have translated into the online gig economy as well. Um, how, how can we work around that, especially from a policy point of view, to ensure, you know, like Dr. Um, like Dami said earlier, to ensure that it's part of the foundation of whatever we are building, just to ensure that that discrepancy doesn't exist, that discrimination doesn't exist in terms of women participation in, in that economy. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, first is addressing the skills gap that has been mentioned. We should have access to knowledge and also information so that whatever uncertainties and also risk that go along with this uh, online labor market system, they can be addressed. The second issue that can also help us is training and capacity building. Uh, that is also key. Then also, uh, digital technology acceptance model in Ghana is very, very low. And I remember we, we are doing uh, similar research for GIZ, and we interviewed the youth who have completed university. So we posed this question, why are not many Ghanaians interested in 
digital technologies. And they said that most of us are laggards when it comes to technology acceptance. That's what the students said. So we asked them, how did you come by this? Said, we were taught at the marketing class when we had our HND uh, lecture. And the fact we take long time to accept. So it's one of the reasons. So to overcome that, it means the communication, the training, policy, regulation, the association, networking, all will have to be scaled up so that we can know that. Then the benefits must also be part of the capacity building. Because if I don't know what is in for me, then I block my entry towards the technology or the platform. So the benefits that go along with that must also be amplified for uh, all of us to know that even apart from the formal work that has its own benefits and challenges, this also has opportunities that I can also come on board. And um, just, I, 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 I was coming to you. Um, for those of you who are logged on online, um, you can pose your questions on the Slido platform. Um, please do well to any question. You know, just, just swing it through. The panel is ready to, to take the question. So just get onto the Slido platform. It's very, very simple. Just go to slido.com if you're not already on it. You know, and just put your question there. Um, we'll be more than happy to access the questions. And for those of you in the room as well, who might have any questions that you would want addressed or looked at or um, for us to delve deeper into, please just let me know. Just put up your hand wherever you are. We'll bring the microphone over to you so we can address them. And I can see one in the back there. Doc. Okay, so I'll just quickly add on to um, his response to the last question. So two things. The first one is that with regards to what you mentioned about skilled people who might not be getting onto the platform, I think the go-to would be to think that when you're thinking of skills, it's a particular set of skills, thinking of graphic design, people who are... But if you think about it, even with the ride hailing services, there are quite a number of drivers who were previously driving, let's say, traditional taxis or even churches who have made that transition onto the ride-hailing platforms. Now, on the ride-hailing platforms, a lot of the communication is in English. And a lot of the, the contracts are all in legalese. Um, I think we've come to accept as a sign of our times that whenever you go on an app and it says terms and conditions have been outdated. Scroll down, <laughs> and hit accept, okay. Yes, and, and especially for a worker, a ride-hailing platform worker who, if he does not um, click, agree, cannot work for that day, they're not going to bother going to get someone, can you explain it to me, what has changed, you know, that sort of thing. So they are skilled because someone who has been driving for 20 years on the streets of Accra is a highly skilled driver. Um, but at that point, in terms of being empowered to be able to effectively make use of the platform on which they are, I think there's also that. So it's not just that narrow scope of like someone who can read everything and understand it, but there's, there's that aspect. And on the gender issue, just a quick one. So I think um, something that came up yesterday that was quite salient was the fact that even, yes, so online work is, has positives um, for women and other care workers, right? Um, in the sense that that flexibility allows you to be able, and we saw it during COVID times, that there were lots of women that spoke to how they were thriving in their careers because they had the flexibility to work when the baby was asleep, etc. But at the same time, you realize that when you are doing online work, 
The baby or whatever needs your attention does not go away because you bring your laptop out. And so the same care and support system that are needed to support women being able to be effective in their work offline is also needed here. And we need to address, in addition to the skills gap, et cetera, that my colleague mentioned, also need to address those so that they are able to be effective in the online labor All right. Um, we had a question in the audience. And so... Right, thank you. Um, my name is Ernest uh, Ernest Abwaje from MDA Voice Africa. Uh, I wasn't here yesterday uh, to listen to the um, to the uh, research or the presentation. Um, I think the online uh, marketing or business has come to stay. Uh, with some of the papers that I read. Uh, more of the educated or people with bachelors or people with tertiary education can be found in that space, um, which is good. And also, um, it's more or less other people use it as a top-up in terms of uh, employment to get more uh, wages. Um, Doc made mention of the, uh, the uh, right hailing, and you see they've built up a system where easily, the consumers, like myself, could easily identify with challenges, okay, and then um, the provider can be held accountable. Right, so for this large space, um, and I also agree with the fact that there should be some of cooperative, so that most of these people can plug in. Um, if there's any challenge, if you am a consumer and I get anything online, uh, you know, you can always um, uh, more or less complain or find a way so that this particular person can be blacklisted or whatever it is. It's, it's not there. So I just want to find out um, from the panel if they have, as I said, I wasn't here yesterday, but if there's any policy that is coming up that is actually going to um, address the concerns of the, uh, the consumers like myself who more or less patronize online, uh, you know, products, okay, because it's not going anywhere now. So I just want to find out if there's any steps that have been taken to do that. I'll be glad. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know of any uh, policy that is uh, in the pipeline, the way we say, to uh, regulate this uh, so that's why we're looking at the other route of uh, having these kind of cooperatives, associations that serves as a guarantee spots for the clients. Otherwise, uh, because you see, it's an area that is quite difficult to, to regulate, you know. And so we, 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 we still have to continue engaging. But as uh, uh, the other panelists said, we need to educate a lot more people to, you know, imbibe into themselves these ethics, you know. Uh, once we are able to have that, then people should have the assurance, but honestly, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. It's still uh, a blanket sport as well. Is it, is it that it's... 
so complicated to regulate, or is it that it's a bit of an inconvenience to regulate? Oh, oh I wouldn't say it's complicated. Uh, it's just after COVID that uh, our attention uh, is growing more on the gig economy. Uh, before COVID, uh, few of us put much emphasis on that. So I believe that this gathering and also the study report will make some recommendation towards regulation. There are other uh, gatherings and research work that are also ongoing. So in no time, I will expect that policymakers will come to a conclusion that we must regulate. Then the specific ministries can be taxed or SOEs, others can be tasked to come out with regulation. And you know for regulation, it's an ongoing process. An act can be passed the following year if there are some new uh, opportunities or some gaps, it can be amended. Yeah, so it shouldn't be a problem regulating it at all. Dr. Adame. So um, I think that, so the particular question was in reference to the ride hailing apps. Mm -hmm. So while I do not know of any policy in the pipeline, I do know that there is some engagement. There are some engagements that are going on. Um, so for instance, in one of the interactions that we had, the online um, drivers union, which um, it's a cooperative of drivers who work within the ride hailing space. They are working to engage um, governments on some of their concerns. But this brings us back to, um, and also I think for the labor market aspect of it, I think the, the current labor act is old. It's, it's very old. <laughs> so, but for, for, for our comfort, we learned, we learned that there is one in the works, and so we can expect to see that, and hopefully um, it's going to reflect a bit more of our, our times. And, and that's interesting. We have a question in the back of the room, and then we have another one in the front as well. Okay. Thank you very much. My name is Steven. Um, as someone who benefited from online work when I was in university, I believe there's no much awareness created about the gig economy. Because in Ghana, when it comes to unemployment, it's much louder when you see a lot of um, graduates crying for unemployment than the people in the informal sector. So I'm wondering if they will reach... Um, a situation or a mark in Ghana's uh, economy whereby people will say, yes, I'm using the gig economy as an alternative to formal employment. And also, it also boils down to the issue of trust that has been discussed. So until the framework and the, um, the, the policy aspect is being sorted, gig economy is still going on. Right now, the most popular part of the gig economy is even the catering services, where people can start um, uh, how do you call it? using the online platform to their kitchens. They set up businesses from their kitchen and they are selling. And all these things are ongoing, particularly when it comes to university students, because then when you target university students, they, they kind of bridge the digital literacy cap. You realize that a lot of university students are already um, tech savvy. But until then, when they get out of universities, they are not looking at the gig economy as a source of employment, they are still looking at the formal sector. Is it that we haven't come to accept that it is part of, uh, 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 how do you call it, an area for employment? Or is it because there's no much awareness? Because then in Ghana, once you get a lot of um, graduates crying, there's no job, there's no job, then that's where the, 
the cry becomes loudest. Thank you very much. That's, that's a very interesting perspective. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. So um, I think that one of the issues, really, is that when we speak of, of data when it comes to the gig work, it's limited. So a lot of the examples that Stephen mentioned will not be captured by data. So if you look at the data that was used, for instance, for the research sprint, it looked at Upwork. Um, you might be able to get inform, um, information from those platforms like Fiverr, Upwork, maybe Uber, but not necessarily directly through Uber, but through an independent, you know, you know the, how it goes. Um, but for the entrepreneurs who are really doing well for themselves offline or outside the data spotlight, we do not capture a lot of those. So even the, um, a lot of the statistics with regards to how much people are earning, etc., it comes with an asterisk right. because really the data is not being collected on some of these things. And sometimes people do not want to report the data because um, mm. I think the example he gave also brings us back to the question of quality control. Right. Should you be able to sell food from your campus kitchen? According to the current laws, no. Because if we are talking about quality control and food safety, that the FDA that. comes in, you need to have a segregated kitchen that will pass inspection for you to be able to produce food grade material like or mm. food for people to consume, to be able to sell it. Right. So those are some of the issues, is that you essentially, it's some, some of, for some of the services that are delivered online, we sort of have an unspoken gentleman's agreement where I trust you are not poisoning me. Um, because if I'm, offering, if I'm ordering a cake from your campus kitchen, I have no idea what's in there. And I do not even have the comfort of the FDA to say, okay, I'm going to report you to the FDA if anything goes awry. And that's why we see a lot of online complaints, etc. But yeah, so that's, that's the sort of trade-off. If we want to control some of the quality, the, we will end up, yeah, so, that, and, but for food, it's something that we have to do because um, for now we've not had big blowouts, but imagine if someone had a contaminated kitchen, we could see people lose their lives, and then that's when regulators will have to step in, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. If the regulator is stepping in after an adverse effect, that's not when they will listen. They're not going to listen then, and so the time to engage, to dialogue is now. I mean, that's, that's a very incredible way of, of looking at it, especially the food bit. And now that you see it, it makes me very scared. But um, um, do we have any other questions in the room? Yeah, so um, allow me to wear an activist uh, hat on this, on this matter as an African. And, and because I hear a lot of regulation targeting the African platforms, but there is a lot coming from layers of inequality passed across the platforms, particularly um, I want to deal with the platforms that are emerging from the other countries and are serving us as, as Africans. I want to know, in the policy, have, you, have we been thinking in terms of when these people enter our countries, do we have basic regulatory framework of when they enter, how are they supposed to protect our people? Because this gig economy is actually targeting unemployed. And when, it, when the tag of unemployed comes, 
it comes with vulnerability. These are very vulnerable people who are likely to fall for anything to survive. Uh, and so, so I'm wondering, are we, for how long are we going to be wearing this savage hat that all oh, let's allow them move around and give us the jobs because we need the jobs. And we keep a deaf ear to the fact that people are actually being exploited in the platforms. And I'm talking about different kinds of platforms. I, 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 I would like to see our governments doing something in that space so that before even we get to the worker and the ethics of the worker and all that, because some of these workers are actually products of platforms that are rogue. So a, a rogue platform will produce a rogue worker. That's my question. <laughs> to, to, to what extent is, is, is government concerned about the well-being and the welfare of someone who is potentially going to be or someone who is on a platform like that? I think, um, I don't know if I captured, I know it's more nuanced than that, I acknowledge that, but um, for the purposes of the conversation, yeah. to what extent have there been considerations around that, um, the protection of the dignity, for example, of, and of, also... Of Ghanaians. Yes, of Ghanaians, you know, on... It, it, yeah. I think every government is concerned about the protection of its citizens. But as I said earlier on, uh, just before and after COVID, that our attention on these things are coming up. So gradually, I think the policymakers will respond to that. Uh, and we, we know we have Data Protection Act that also uh, requires operators to go through them. Uh, so <coughs> I, I think that when the time comes, they'll respond. But, but the time is here. Come the again. time there is here. Yeah, I know it's, I know, that's what I said, it's two years. Right. And I've said that we, we are a little bit slow in responding to uh, issues. Right. So uh, they will respond. And as uh, doctor said that engagement uh, on this way, to put up an act or regulation. It's not, it's not a simple thing. You need to engage different stakeholders, learn from other uh, best practice, get experts to put it together. Thereafter, it goes to cabinet, parliamentary consideration. I mean, for parliament, it is read minimum of three times. Yeah, but so it takes time. So I'm, we'll I'm, get there. I'm sorry, but I'm, okay, I'm putting on my journalistic hat here. Um, like you said, it's been two years, right? I mean, COVID came, went kind of, came back again, said hi, killed a couple of people. I mean, it's been two years. It was in existence before the two years came in. I mean, everything from Uber to everything else in between was there before COVID. So was there a consideration even before and even after the two years, what were we doing in those two years in terms of understanding how the platforms work, in terms of understanding whether there was dignified work even for the Ghanaian, in terms of being compensated fairly, what was happening within that period? And why do we have to still hold on and hope? 
because that's what it sounds like. It sounds more like a hope situation than something that is imminent. And, and to add on to what Philip is saying, I, I fear that given the pace of technology, because you, um, in as much as we understand the process, there's a process to developing an act that can take years, etc. But I fear that given the pace of development of technology, if we do not develop and come up with a more dynamic framework of dealing with some of these issues, we will keep you know, catching up to the detriment of the Ghanaian people. If Ghanian we are lucky businesses. enough to even catch up. <laughs> if, 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 if we are lucky enough to even catch up. Because, for instance, if there's a, a, a complaint, collective complaint, for instance, against Uber Ghana, and it's brought to the table of government, and government now has to consult Uber Ghana and say, uh-huh, so you people, what do you do? Can you bring us data that really helps us to understand what you do? And which of our laws applies to you? You know, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just putting my drama, <laughs> my drama enthusiast hat on to sort of um, paint a scenario. Then Uber Ghana gets to drive, and Uber is so no um, disclaimer. Like I'm not targeting Uber. It's just the common one that we all know. So it's just a placeholder. It could be any other um, app. But if that point, the dialogue, that point of okay, explain things to us, help us understand, bring us data, and help us situate what you do within our law, you know, those are, at the point where there's a complaint, it's too late. So there needs to be that more active, more dynamic information gathering, trying to understand, bringing them to the table, uh-huh, so we've heard about you, you are here, what are you doing, and how are you making sure that our people are, even if you don't have a law that, you know, speaks directly to what they do. So, you know, the Ghanaian people are very dear to us. I mean, I, I'm really breaking this down to the basics, and it's idealistic, and the way I'm phrasing it might be a bit naive, but I'm trying to drive home, paint as a picture of what is at stake and the kind of dynamics that are at play here that we need to defend. Because today, it's ride-hailing apps with AI, machine learning, who knows where the technology would be if we are dealing with deep fakes and there's some sort of online platform that is dealing with that. If government is caught pants down on our ways and has to catch up, like Philip is saying, we will not catch up. And so I think this would be my um, entreating, um, not just, and this is not just the, the labor um, policy or ministry, um, but in general, government, I think that um, they've been, you know, we have a digital Ghana agenda. There's a lot of support for digitalization, but technology is very wiry, and we really need to have more dynamic policy frameworks for dealing with some of these issues that, that come up. Okay. Philip. Yes. May I, Prince, before I give you the microphone, put one question we got from Slido, sure. so from the online crowd, to be fair about this. Sorry about so, that. So, talking about gender, we had this today. There is one question. The lack of participation of women in the non-traditional sectors has to do with the mindset. Is there any initiative in Ghana to support women gig workers? Is there anything um, from the panel, rather from the research? Um, so I know that there are a number of incubators, etc. So um, and also some of the development partners. Um, so for instance, the GI that there's e-skills for girls. There are initiatives that are being a bit intentional 
in ensuring that when they have opportunities to reskill, upskill, etc., to close their skills gap, they have that more intentional targeting of, of women. Now, to speak to the issue of sociocultural sort of restraint, even in those intentional targeting, we sometimes run into that same situation where you see a call out and you're looking for 20 female entrepreneurs to XYZ, and the same call you see it six months later because they run the call and they did not even get 10 people to, to apply. And so there's still a lot to be done by way of sensitization, by way of awareness creation, by way of empowerment to get women to be more involved um, in the informal, I think the inform, if there were even informal sector, women dominate over there, but in terms of bringing them in online, digital, labor <coughs> platforms, et cetera, there's quite a bit of work to be done. Yeah, just to add that, um, you know, for us as DPs, we go in for a more targeted approach. As I speak to you, 30 women are being trained uh, with support from the ILO. I mean, they are traditional caterers, and we feel that it's very important for them to be able to acquire these skills, to reach out to people using all these platforms so that they can improve upon their lot and all. So uh, that is at that level, but uh, you know, the broad framework is what we, we don't have and it's creating a problem. The time is now, but you know, <laughs> well, let leave it. Yeah, let's, let's not get into that. Um, we have a couple of questions in the room as well. There's some in the front here. I think I have three in the front and then I have one in the back. So we'll do one in the back and then the three in the front and we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. So um, my name is Prince. I happen to present, uh, represent the National Online Drivers Association, uh, formerly Ghana Online Drivers Association. And I think this, this is a quite pressing issue regarding regulations. And I remember, I think Augustina said something about what I said later in my submissions on Friday. I, I think we live in a country where a lot of the things that we do is not really sync. So we have different departments, different ministries uh, who have data, and some do not have data of what's really happening on the ground. For instance, um, concerning regulatory is issues, we've been trying to engage a lot of the, um, the organizations or associations from the government perspective on how best they can help we as an organization to counter tax setting issues regarding right-hailing services. Uh, to some extent, there hasn't been any sort of result. And uh, the problem is the governments themselves also are much more focused on revenue mobilization than, you know, certain structures that would curb them to also, you know, get to that extent where in the later part they get to, you know, mobilize revenue. So when you, when you try to meet the government, they are rather thinking of how best they can task we, the drivers, because um, they now, I can, I can boldly say now, they don't have any mechanism on how to task online drivers, mainly because you know, the traditional taxi drivers, as we all know, normally you know, get registered through the MMDs, the municipal assemblies and all that. They have an obligation to pay quarter driver's licenses and all these things where if you don't pay, the city drivers, uh, city uh, guard would, you know, stop you from operating. But from the perspective of online drivers, it's totally different. The government doesn't even know how many drivers are online, how many people are, you know, basically providing services. 
Also because um, I believe that we don't have the system to also monitor some of these things. And you know these foreign companies as well have this sort of data protection policy. They would come up with so many clauses as to why they can't release data to you as well in terms of being a government. So I believe that um, the core issue is um, if, if the government is ready, uh, we are also ever ready to, to, to make sure it works because um, we need you and then you need us. Uh, we're ever ready. I mean, there are a lot of issues. Um, if we should talk about them here, we, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure we, we may not close today. And, and thank you, thank you for the the insight and the commentary as well. Really appreciate you joining us. We have three more questions, and we'll wrap it up. But then, while we know the 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 lady in the front here, um, the lady in yes, um, but please note that we have a little feedback form for all of you um, directly after the session. It's at the, the table um, where you registered. Would really, um, you know, plead with you to fill it out before you take leave of us. Yes, please. Um, thank you. Um, so my name is Hilda Baraz. I work with the Tony Blair Institute. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, one touches on the report itself. Um, I'm curious to know if the report um, offers any sort of recommendations, policy recommendations on how you can balance power between the digital labor platforms and the, and the users. Because I think to some extent, um, as, a, as, a, as a consumer of the platform, um, if I order something the way you mentioned and, and that the rider messes up with your order, you're able to lodge a complaint and you would be compensated, whether it's through credits or anything. But on the other hand, I think that there is a discrepancy in the the kind of power um, a user would have on the platform. So you could be blacklisted, whether it's from decreased ratings, or you could be kicked off the platform arbitrarily. Um, how, how are they, um, is there an attempt to address how you can balance power between the digital labor platform and the, the, you know, the service providers in that kind of um, respect? Um, and then the other question that I have um, regarding the research that was done, is the, has has um, has a typology of labor platforms been created for Ghana? So looking at um, the impact of um, digital labor platforms on future skills. So you have at the top of it, if you think of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have the super highly um, specialized um, talent that would exist at the top, and at the bottom you sort of have like a a dodge of um, un. I think um, undifferentiated talent at the bottom, so anybody could sign up for um, rideshare, for example. So if you if you if you think of that kind of typology, um, have have the policy gaps been identified based on the classification of talent required and skills required for the labor platforms, and is there any thinking going into the impact on education in the future? What does this mean for for the skills that Ghana needs to? really invest in, um, especially when you're thinking of a more globalized um, world where platforms would be, um, would present sort of like the, the opportunity for the bulk of Africa's youth. So I've sort of like extrapolated that question slightly beyond um, the borders of Ghana. Absolutely, well thank you. Um, any thoughts on anything that, from the research that potentially yes, helps? Um, just, uh, for us, uh, we'll be working with the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations to actually see how we can uh, have the platform 
for collecting data uh, on uh, labor market information. You know, it's something they've tried in the past and we felt that it's important that we support. Now, in terms of the uh, skill gap analysis, uh, Commission for TVF, for instance, has commissioned Pricewaterhouse and Coopers to conduct a research. So there's a report on, but here we are looking at sectoral approach. We're trying to not, you know, go at it broadly, but look at specific sectors and see which gaps exist there in terms of skills. So that we have some reports and as uh, ILO, we've been working with the sector skill councils or sector skill body, they call it, to develop skill strategies. And before we develop the skill strategy, we identify the gaps and make recommendations. So some of these reports are available. Some have been published. I know we published for agricultural sector, published for construction, tourism and hospitality, ICT, oil and gas. Uh, the others are in the process, you know. Uh, so uh, eventually we'll have this, but we'll be working with the Minister of Employment and Labor Relations to establish a system. I know there's the World Bank support also to help them uh, have uh, a robust, <laughs> a robust labor market information system and structure that will help us have the data now and also anticipate skills for the, the, the future. Thank you. And just to add, and as much as I harped on government earlier, um, I put my researcher hat on. It's quite a, a, a big feat, you know, that it has to tackle when it comes to this particular space. If you're looking at where the influencing should start, you, you mentioned education. So right from G, GES, if we want to go all the way with it, there's um, targeting and, you know, interventions to be done right from the very basic levels all throughout. And there's ways in which it touches the entire education um, value change. And so um, from the research, there are some recommend policy recommendations that were made. And one of the points of yesterday's interaction was to ensure that you had the opportunity to listen to stakeholders that were present to sort of try and pass out some sort of prioritization. What are the main, because there is a lot to be done now, digital permeable service sphere of, of, of activity within the economy and therefore governance. And so there would be a lot to be done um, in, there's been a lot of ad hoc policies being developed to regulate or supervise the spaces which digital touched first. There are some learnings from there that governments can leverage to see how best you can come up with more uniform or common policies that protects the people, not necessarily from a, okay, I'm putting all of you into this box and regulating you, but sort of principles that then all the policies that are being reviewed for this year or are in the pipeline, etc. these principles then guide the updates of these policies and can help to patch up and also sync, because now we still have a, a, quite a bit of siloed um, policies because of the way digitization developed in Ghana, but sync some of the initiatives, um, sync some of the efforts of development partners, et cetera, to make sure we get the most out of the efforts and the resources that are at hand. All right. Uh, Was there anything you wanted to add briefly yeah, before uh, you go? I, I want to uh, encourage uh, key operators to show positive attitude towards the online labor uh, market system. Uh, with respect to 
uh, my friend who represents the Online Drivers Association. Uh, you now have a treat or a vocation that you have accepted to go along with. So we encourage you to do everything best so that you don't fall aside of the emerging technology that is found in this space. So you need to uh, support yourselves in terms of training, networking, then also reaching out to GPs, reaching out to the government, policymakers, researchers, so that you can also develop the industry that you find yourself in. If we always wait for somebody to take the next action, the time that we realize we might be a little bit late. So each of us has a specific role that you can play. So he can uh, take it bigger and even move beyond uh, Accra and cover other areas that online drivers are also found. I hope that you take this in good faith. Thank you. Interesting. We have two more questions before we wrap up. We have two questions in the front and then we'll wrap it up for this session. Okay, so my, my name is Michael. I just wanted to you know, bring to the fore that there are three key actors within this whole space. One is the, the labor side where we're creating labor. So basically a lot more people are recruited. And if you look at, you know, especially what is online, you see that continuously and growingly, there are a lot of people moving online and creating that environment. There's also the side of uh, the users that we have to look at. I think we've had a lot of discussions on it, ensuring that whatever that is being given out there or the services that is being provided. Uh, I remember there was this thing on social media where, for instance, in the fashion industry, somebody gets the dress that uh, he's wearing and gives it out, and what comes out is a different thing, and you would have paid for it already. And there's also the thing where you see something nice on an online platform outside the country, and then uh, you, know, you think it's caught in, it's this, and then it comes back and it's nylon, and you can do anything with it. So there's, there's also that side of it. And there's a third side, which I think that we should also be more you know, uh, concerned about. That is also those individuals that are actually creating the business online. Uh, that is to say that, uh, for instance, I am within the environment of uh, research and also capacity building. And you go into organizations where they say that they are recruiting some type of labor online. And basically, the quality of that it's extremely poor. Uh, you have somebody who says, I'm a digital marketer. Then you say, let me see your profile. Let me see uh, your Facebook handle, your Instagram handle. Let me see your LinkedIn handle. And you, know, you ask that question, really, what are you coming to do for me? If, if that's what, or what are you going to do? So uh, there, are, there are three groups, and they are actually all struggling to find their space. Uh, one caution I would, I would want to put out there is, when we talk regulation. Once you talk regulation, then you have the challenge that the online drivers are having. Because regulation means that you must register your business. Registering your business means taxes. They get to know you. They get to identify you. And uh, if you've built any business before here in Ghana, you really don't want the government anywhere closer to you. You wish that nobody knows that you exist. 
and and we've had tremendous huge businesses i have one lady that you know worked for me and moved the business online like started something online with fashion like beauty and now her business is bigger than mine and she didn't have need any capital no registration and all those things and she's she has over 20 workers now and she's a very young lady once we bring regulation and uh, regulation also comes and the thing is that who are those who are going to develop these laws for us these are researchers and then technocrats who might not have those businesses and therefore might not have been able to go through what it takes to get there and even if you look at the formal environment the formal entrepreneurship uh, in environment that's the biggest problem they have with the uh, you know the laws and the regulators and the taxes and all those things so uh, it might be dead on arrival if we don't take care when we are looking at the environment of regulation however there have been key points that have been raised when i see the repeatedly especially frank talking about framework and then doc also talking about framework uh, let's now start discussing framework how do we get it done within an environment without necessarily looking at uh, government? Government could. Too we shouldn't look at it too much. <laughs> you know, because the point is that when you do that, you kill it on arrival. A lot of people will not go into that place, will not be able to. to uh, you know, I was training some people for Ghana Enterprises Agency. We wanted to register their businesses, just shito, like they're producing food, as you say. And Ghana Enterprises wants to register it free for them. Now, you know the funny thing, to get FDA to register, they are ready to pay for it free. So just come and register. But it means that they ought to register their business. And it means they must get TIN. And just TIN and registration of business, you will not like your registration. Let our food not be, uh, you know. I don't know if you understand. So. Then you get to then prevent people from, from entering into this environment that is creating a lot of opportunities for the youth. So uh, let's look at it from those three angles, I'm sure. Once the discussion is ongoing, we should be able to place it in a good place. But I would go for a framework every day over the laws. The, the no regulation. So this is the final comment, um, really quick, and then we can wrap it up. But I can assure you that the food and drinks we're going to enjoy after this session is regulated, so no worries about that. A very final comment, and we wrap it up for today. So my name is Fred Aban. I'm the IT director for the Youth Employment Agency. And I would also want to talk about regulations. Uh, I would bet to differ a little from the gentleman uh, that last spoke. Um, the ecosystem in which we are evolves very fast. And a monster has been born. Now, if we don't tame this monster, this monster is going to grow to become something that we will not be able to contain in our country. Let me give you one example. Between the mid-90s and late-90s, cell phones started coming into Ghana at a very fast pace. Now, SIM numbers were not registered. You could buy a SIM card and start using. And it got to a point, uh, somewhere last year or so, the government started saying that we should register all SIM cards. A report had just been released by one of the telcos 
that 6 million of their subscribers that have uh, subscribed to what they call quick loan have refused to register with their Ghana cards. And so that money they were uh, hoping to retrieve, they just can't find the, the owners of those same cars. And so the money is somehow missing in action. Now let us come to our ecosystem where we are discussing. A time I come, something like what the lady talked about, food poisoning, might happen. It might happen on a very large scale. And we might not even be able to find whoever was behind that food business. It might be chemicals for hair. It might destroy some faces, maybe makeup or something like that. Regulation does not necessarily mean people are going to pay huge sums to the state. It depends on the content of the regulation. If we do not regulate our space right now, a time will come, courtesy of our friends are invited us here, we might meet here again, and the question might be a different question altogether. So framework or regulation, let us look at it critically, and let us do it now. If not, we might meet here and discuss it from a different angle some days to come. Thank you. And well, that is where we draw the curtains down on the show today. I do hope that conversation was thought-provoking and provocative enough for you in terms of figuring out what the next phase of um, you know, the gig economy as we've come to term it actually is. It's very nuanced, clearly, and there's a lot that we need to unpack. But the most important thing is thinking through regulation and how important regulation is. I do hope this has been beneficial for you. My name is Philip Pashon. Till next week, stay techy.